1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to finish the chapter tonight, verses 22 through 25. If I were stranded on an island and could only have one chapter of the Bible, this this is in my top pickings, if you will. There is so much here for the child of God. After, after becoming a Christian, this might be um, one of the chapters that I would definitely like to have. We've been talking about suffering and Christians going through suffering. That is what this entire book is about. We, we began with this word that went out to scattered Christians who had lost everything. And what do you say them to them in a time of suffering? Well, summing up what the Lord laid on Peter's heart was, know that you're saved. Know that you're going to heaven. Know that there's help. Know the truth about trials and tribulation. They are for a purpose. They are for a good purpose. How do we live through suffering? Give your life to God. That's not saying for the unsaved person to be saved. Of course, that needs to happen. But for the Christian, the Christian needs to give their life to God through a time of suffering. Last time I was in here, we talked about that that involves giving God our mind, giving God control of our emotions, giving God the moment. Hope is not just in heaven. Hope is here. We live having hope in this life. So give Him the moment here. And then we, we turn from the past way of life that we had before we were saved. So we give Him the molding of our life as He is making us someone new. And then He says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we give Him our manner to give us a new manner of life. Give our life to God. Last week, I shared with the teenagers that we give our life to God by living in fear. And that may sound funny to you because the Bible says perfect love casteth out fear. But we can understand fear in a lot of ways. The trembling awe and respect given to God. We're reverence to God always. That's how we're to live through suffering by living in fear. But not only is that how we understand that we've given our life to God is when we're living in fear, but also by loving fervently. How to live through suffering? We love fervently. And we love the fellow Children of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we love them fervently. And that's what we're going to close this chapter out with tonight. You know, the, the Rocky movies are pretty popular still today, I guess. They first came out in the mid-70s and they made the last one, Rocky V anyway, and in the, the 90s, early 90s, but they... I still see them on the preview guide today, and you know they're they're still popular today. And you know, after Rocky Four came out, you kind of thought maybe there wasn't going to be another one because he retired. He had an eye injury, and he was becoming an older man, and and so he retired. But next thing you know, there's a Rocky Five, and he has been asked by a young man to train him. 
So he's the old man now and he's training the young man. And the young man's having some, some success, a lot of success. And it's due to such a great trainer, okay? But he's young and his head starts to swell with all of his success and what he's doing. So he thinks it's him. So he doesn't need his trainer anymore. And they part ways. It's not very good. The young guy shows up to Rocky's house one night and threatens him. And then he threatens Rocky's family. It's on then. Okay. They're out in the street and it's not very long before they are brawling. Somebody called the news. The news showed up. There's a big crowd of people around and they are in a brawl. And Rocky is can tell that time has not been on his side. The young man's getting the best of him. Rocky's battered and he's beaten and he finds himself laying in a gutter. And as he's laying there beaten and, and the young man's just standing there waiting for him to get up, he starts thinking. And he thinks about when he was a young man and he was young and he was strong and he thinks about when he first began his career and all he was doing. And that gets him a little excited and he tries to get up out of the gutter, but he can't. And then, and then he thinks about a match that he had where he was really down, but he made this giant comeback and he won, he got the victory. And so now he's motivated to try to get up again, but, but, but he just can't get up. And then he thinks about going over to Moscow and he fought this Russian, this guy that, that no man in the world could supposedly face and defeat. And he did it. And he just knew he was going to get up that time. But a little bit of energy and he just actually stayed there laying in the gutter. And then he remembered Mickey. His old trainer, Mickey. And he recalls and he's picturing Mickey and he's picturing himself. He has been laid out flat like a pancake on the canvas. And he can see Mickey and can hear his voice and he's over him and he's saying, get up, get up, you bum. Get up because Mickey loves you. And you know what? He found his way up out of the gutter. And where he was way behind, everyone had counted him out. He was defeated in their minds. He got back up and he overcame all the beating and the battering he had taken. And he found victory. He found victory over the struggle that he was going through. And you know, as we think about that, as the, as the story goes, Mickey had died, but in his heart and mind, he had come back, raised from the dead, if you will, in his mind anyway, to let him know that he was loved. And our Lord Jesus walked this earth, and he died for us. And He was raised from the grave. And He wants you and I to know that He loves us. He is with us and He loves us. And there is no end to the love of Christ. To us, in us, and through us. 
And if this was an evangelistic message to the lost, we would focus on Christ's love to us, maybe. But for the children of God who sometimes go through suffering and go through hard times in their life, we're talking about how to live through suffering and we give our life to God in a way that we overcome in our suffering is for God to love through us. Through us to one another. We need to love an unsaved, unlovely world out there and lead them to Christ. But that's a message for another day. What we're talking about tonight that God has laid on the heart of Peter as he's writing to the people of God that their success in their time of suffering is going to be a love one to another. That they love one another with an unfeigned love and they love one another fervently. It's love, love shared among the people of God that is going to take us through the hard times in life and the suffering that we go through. The suffering Christian must give their life to God by loving fervently. As we think of all the ingredients that might go into that might go into the plan for God's suffering people to be able to rise up above the difficulties that they're going through. You can have every ingredient going on, but if we, if we delete or ignore or neglect or miss out on what we are to share as the family of God one to another, things aren't going to work. This love that we are to share with one another, it's a must. It's a must. It's, it's our healing and it is our help in our time of suffering. There's no greater force or bonding agent between people than love. There's no comparison as you think about the natural love of the lost and the supernatural love that is shared between believers. It creates an unbreakable bond, an unbreakable union between us. The love of God is permanently lodged deep within the heart of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It results in a very deep affection one for another. That's what the love of God does in us. Christians nourish one another in the love of God. We show concern for one another in His love. We look after the welfare of each other. We meet the needs of each other. And the motivation of it and the means of it is God's love. God's love through us. It's You find in verse 22, let's go ahead and read it. We find an unfeigned love first. It says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Unfeigned love of the brethren. The simple definition we'll start with. It means not putting on a church face for the church family. 
unfeigned love is talking about a sincere, genuine love. I heard the testimony of a man recently, and, and this, this woman has worked alongside this man for the past 20, 25 years, has known about his tenure uh, of 40 years in his career, and she said he's the same in the workplace as he is at home, as he is at church. He's the same all the time. He's real. He doesn't have a mask on. That's the idea of what it means to have unfeigned love. It's not something in disguise. It's not something that is for show on the outside. It is real, it is sincere, and it is undisguised. If there's just a desire to pacify someone with a few words, just to, just to get that situation out of the way, and 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 a pretending to care, that's that's play acting. That that's like on stage, uh, Broadway, something like that. But the love of God is the opposite of that. Whenever whenever God's love is not flowing in the church family one to another, there's two that's going to suffer. You, you have the one that is showing a pretend love, and you have the one on the other end that is in great need of encouragement from one, and that one that is in need, they're not going to be truly nourished. They're not going to be nourished by something fake. And for the one that is unable to show the sincere love of God to another, well, they're not walking in the love of God when they're not when they're showing something that is fake and pretend because that is not the love of God. When 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 there's a dreading of of communicating that that's just not God's love and his love shows through us. His love is an unfeigned love. It's feigned love when it's fake, but God's love is an unfeigned love. We have been indwelt by an unfeigned love. That's what He has loved us with, and He loves through us to one another. And that love is to be fervently experienced and to be fervently shown. This stresses the importance of how Christians need to be to one another in their times of suffering, as we consider this word fervent, what does it say there at the end of verse 22? That ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. This word fervently, it speaks of full intensity. It speaks of being stretched out to the max. It's a love that truly cares for others. I can't help but stop and interject as, as we talk about love. And a lot of people in religion talk about love. And, and a lot of people don't really know what it is. And, and when we talk about Christian love one to another, we're not talking about a bunch of messy, mushy feelings and flattery and just trying to make someone feel good no matter what. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about this unfeigned love that is to be shared fervently one for another. It's a love that cares, but it's a love that does not compromise. 
the love of God in us and through us, it strains to restore a sinner, but it never confirms someone in their sin. It doesn't seek to flatter. Proverbs speaks of the kisses of an enemy, and they are deceitful. And that is speaking of what flattery is all about. We're warned about flattery. So the love of God doesn't flatter another, but it seeks the very best for another. It seeks what another needs and and to help them to get to the very best thing that they need. That's that's an idea of what we should be doing and loving fervently. Love shouldn't be this messy stuff that's overflowing outside the boundaries of what God has designed for his people to share one another. Philippians 1.9 is a good example of it. Paul says, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Knowledge and judgment are two riverbanks that, that love isn't to in a messy way, flow outside, but it's to be directed in a certain way. And this love that we are to love one another with, it is to be, it is to be fervent. It's to the max. It's to be maxed out to each other in our times of suffering. Just a, just a couple of points tonight as we think about this love that we're to share as Peter is writing to the scattered Christians in their time of suffering, encouraging them and showing them the light, showing them that it is by love one for another that's going to keep you, that's going to help you. Y'all are going to help one another by your love for each other. And they can do that because they're pure within, we're going to see. They can do that because they've been born again, we're going to see. And he encourages them to do that because time is thin. But let's look at being pure within in verse 22. It says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. When one trusts Christ as Lord and Savior, the soul is cleansed from sin. The sinner is cleansed. The soul is then acceptable to God. This word purified, it's not speaking of something ceremonially. It is speaking of something morally. And you look at the Ten Commandments and the morals of God are never going to change. They're all the same. Everyone falls guilty, falls short of the glory of God and is guilty before God. But, and that's why he gave his son Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary to make you and I acceptable to God. The soul must be purified. And understand when you look at that phrase in the beginning of that verse and you read that, you and I are not going to purify our own souls. That is something the Lord does. That is something that the gospel of Jesus Christ does when we receive the person of Jesus Christ. He makes us pure within. And also, notice where it says 
that we've purified our souls in obeying the truth. That's specifically speaking of the truth of the gospel. It's simply speaking of not, not a walk, but an acceptance of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and He has purified our soul. This is something we cannot do, but He does in us when we receive the proclamation of the gospel and the person of the gospel, Jesus Christ. He purifies the soul. So as a result of the Christian obeying the gospel, Paul is encouraging them in their devastating time of darkness that they seem to be going through, that they can love one another. They have been purified within, and they can love one another fervently. They can really and truly love. They can really and truly desire the well-being, the very best for their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they can go into action to do whatever they can to assist and to work toward another's well-being. It takes being saved to do that. It takes being sanctified by the truth to do that. Sanctify them by thy by truth. Thy word is truth, the Bible says. And then being filled with the Spirit, which bears the fruit of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so by these things, they are encouraged that no matter where they are, no matter what they're going through, they can love one another. They have been made pure within. Though they are experiencing pain as a result of hatred that, have come, that has come upon their life by their persecutors, though they're experiencing pain from hatred, they can love their brothers and sisters. They can love because they're pure within. And so are we. And we can do the same thing too. The operation, the function, and the duties of a Christian doesn't stop during our time of suffering, during our time of many things trying to hinder our life. Peter not only speaks of their ability to love one another, by being pure within. But he says a similar thing, but he's saying it from another angle when he's, when he's encouraging them, them that they can love because they've been born again. It's kind of like the way we started out this letter. And Peter told them that they are the elect. And he, and, he, and he spoke of their position and their condition in Christ in many different ways, encouraging them in a time of suffering, know who you are, know what you have in Christ, know you're going to heaven, know, you're going, know that you're saved. So he says they're pure within, and then in verse 23, he says, because they're born again, they can love. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Being born again is being regenerated with spiritual life. It's when you're made alive unto God, when you're quickened by the spirit and saved by the Lord. This is not a gradual process. 
You will notice when you talk to some people about Christ that and and where they stand with the Lord and they'll say, well, I'm working on it. I, I grew up in church and and I'm away from church. And now I am uh, I am wanting my family, my wife and kids. We're going to go back to church and and I'm finding my way. And don't get me wrong. The Lord draws us as I as I think back on my unsaved life. The Lord was was drawing me to him and I didn't even realize it. But. To be born again, someone may speak in such a way to think that they are doing this and they're doing that and they're doing all they can to reach this level to be acceptable to God. But being born again, that's something that happens instantly. That's something that happens in half a second by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an instant being quickened. It's instantly being made alive unto God. It's instantly being created anew within. And it's not of corruptible seed that that happens. You notice it's not of corruptible seed, it says. You'll talk to some people and they will say, um, you know, you ask them if they're saved and they'll say, well, you know, I, I had lost my way. I was in a bad way, but, but my girlfriend, when, when I met her, she, she saved me. She, when she came into my life, she saved me. Or my boyfriend, he is there for me. He is my savior. He is the way that I've been saved. And I mean, people will answer that to you when you're talking about heaven and how you go to heaven. But you're not born again by corruptible seed. You understand the human nature is selfish. It's jealous. It's envious. It's prideful. It's angry. It's bitter. It's abusive and it's deceptive. Corruptible seed will not get anyone to heaven. It is the incorruptible seed that we see in the word here that regenerates a person within. It's only the incorruptible seed that a person can be saved. It says not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Christian, when the person gets born again, they're born again forever. And I'm not saying that, that it's something that, that happens every day. It's, it's instantly, it's one time in your life, but you are born again for, for life, for good, one time. It is a forever salvation. It is a forever regeneration when that happens in the life of a soul. And the soul will never age. It will never perish. The soul will never decay. When we're saved by Jesus. We're saved by Jesus. But here it says that we're born again by incorruptible seed, by the Word of God. Only Jesus saves. But the way that you were saved and the way that I was saved is that somebody told us about Jesus. And what they told us came from the Word of God. They told us the Word of God of Jesus and we were saved. Somebody told me something one time. And they said it was, you're not going to find it in the Bible. It was revelation that was given to me from God. And I put on the brakes. I was a baby Christian and I wasn't sure about it, but it made me put on the brakes. 
And I found out that that was a corruptible thing that was going on. But when it comes from the Word of God, that's where the gospel that we have received, that's where we believe it. We see it in the Word of God. Some people say, I don't feel saved. I'll look at the Word of God and it says the same thing about the security of His salvation over and over and over. So we feel all different kinds of ways, but do you trust the Word of God? It is an incorruptible seed, you understand. We, we, we think about planting the seed when we're witnessing to someone. And then that seed is watered. And then that seed is harvested. Look, an incorruptible seed has been sown in the heart of the one that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and saves us and secures us. The word of the Lord, what does it say about it? Which liveth and abideth forever. The word has endured a lot of things in this life on the, you know, during time, the word has endured a lot of, there have been a lot of threats come against the word of God that it was going to be gone, that the word of God was going to be no more. Many have tried to destroy this word. So in a matter of speaking concerning the subject, we could say that the word of God has been through some suffering. All right, but you know what? It's lasted. It's endured. It's not only endured, but it lives. It liveth and abideth forever. And the word of the Lord lives inside you. It is a permanent seed sown in your heart. And here we have Christian folks that have been going through suffering. And living within them is the eternal, everlasting word that liveth and abideth forever. Praise God for the encouragement to the sufferer that the incorruptible seed by the Word of God lives forever within us. And we can live through suffering if the Christian gives their life to God. And loves fervently. We can love fervently through our time of suffering. If these Christians, in all they're going through, if they'll have ears to hear what is being said to them. You understand the church at Corinth. They were divided. They probably left church service criticizing other people in the church. They were one-upping one another. They were competitive against one another. And the church was divided. If, if there is an encouragement to love fervently in a time of suffering and build such a strong unity if the love of God will flow from us one to another and we will love really with unfeigned love and that's going to help us and bind us and we're going to be able to help each other out in a time of suffering. Then when there's division and when there's criticism of one another, and when there's I'm better than you, the sad reality of that is the love of God is not flowing 
in the life of that one. The, the unfeigned love of God is not loving fervently. Corinth, you, you have to see and come up with the solution here. Come up with an answer to this. That Corinth wasn't walking in the love of God. Acting that way toward one another. We're, we're, we're different as children of God, as the family of God, those who have been born again, those who have been made pure within, we are able to love one another fervently. We are able to love with unfeigned love. You understand the world hasn't received unfeigned love one for another. I had a friend growing up and he said his dad hung out at this certain uh, establishment and and the, the unity that was there was was better than what he has seen in a church before. And but that's all corruptible seed. And, and, and this true, genuine love doesn't can't come forth from a situation like that. But Peter is encouraging these Christians as to how they can truly love each other genuinely and passionately and carry each other through their suffering. The Lord is there. The Lord's Word is there. He, Peter is telling them all that the Lord has done for them and what they're also going to be able to do for success. That must be part of the equation. It must be what happens among this body of believers that's being written to is that they have love one for another. I'm going to carry you and you're going to carry each other too with, with my love that loves one another genuinely. We're born again and we've received a great love. And another way Peter encourages this loving fervently is by the fact that time is thin. Look at verses 24 and 25. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. There it is again. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We're here temporarily. The flesh is temporary. The earthly nature of the human being is temporary. And it's prone to sin. And it's opposed to God. And it's weak and it's low and it's debased. And it can lead into ungodliness in a time of suffering. You've seen it before. People that, that suffering comes upon them and they have a choice to make. And ungodliness is what is unfortunately chosen sometimes by the flesh, by what's temporary in the child of God. You know, the flesh is temporary and it's tempting. And also suffering, it is temporary in the life of the child of God. And the suffering in this life, in this short time that we go through, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal 
weight of glory. There is no suffering in heaven, but the result of the suffering that we go through, God's going to use that in heaven in our lives. He's going to use it when we rule and reign with Him for a thousand years. Our suffering doesn't go on for nothing. And, and as we think about ourselves in the flesh, suffering cramps our style. But God is giving them a new view, a new look at what they're going through with what's temporary Versus what's eternal. Look, there was the word before there was the world. Tim was talking about all the unsure and uh, advice that you can get out in the world. Well, the word was first. Then the world came. So many are turning to the world when the word was before the world ever was. And after the world is gone, it's going to be the word. The word abideth forever. Time is very thin on this in this life and 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 people get bent out of shape in their suffering because of the glory of man. We have the glory of God, but then there's the glory of man. Hollywood airbrushes these Females and they're they're all over magazines. They're all over movies. They're all over different areas of the phone. You can go in. I I wonder what this and and the and they're popular. They're they're getting glory right now. What's it going to be like when they're ninety five and a and a hundred? You know, people when people focus on that and all of that fades. Like the flower that falleth away, all of that fades. All of that is not to be the focus. All of this temporary that we're seeing, you know, it, it, it was definitely a sensitive time for these Christians as they have left everything behind. They had left all their valuables behind. They had left a lot of people that they loved behind. But he's leading them to look through spiritual eyes of what they have that can never be left behind, of what they have eternal. And everything that they had is going to fade away. Look, Peter is not just encouraging these Christians just to try to endure through their suffering. He's encouraging them to live. That they, we can live in a time of suffering. We're not just crawling and just trying to make it through the dark tunnel that we're in and we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're not just trying to get through and we're not just trying to endure. That's not the kind of God that we were born again by. That's not the kind of God that made us pure within. We can live. We can live in a time of suffering. Not only that, we can love in a time of suffering. We can and love fervently. And, and as I consider the end of this and, and consider all that is temporary and all that is eternal, there's a there's a song that comes to my mind. Sometimes I just try to look up a hymn that fits and sometimes close with the words of a hymn. But there was a verse that came to my mind 
from hold to God's unchanging hand. It says, build your hopes on things eternal. Bill, what a view, what a viewpoint for us. Build your hopes on things eternal. I've changed one line of this song, but I want you to listen to this song as we think about the temporary and we think about what's internal and uh, eternal in our times of suffering. If you, you've been suffering in the past and, and maybe you're suffering right now. And if not, and it's, if it's been a while, there's some suffering coming. We, we all go through it and we're all to love one another and help one another. And just consider these words as we close. It says, time is filled with swift transition. Naught of earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Trust in him who will not leave you whatsoever years may bring. If by earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to him cling. Covet not this world's vain riches that so rapidly decay. Seek to gain the heavenly treasures. They will never pass away. When your journey is completed, you'll find your God has been true. Fair and bright, the home in glory, your enraptured soul will view. What do you say to someone in their time of suffering? Hold on to what's eternal. They can live through their time of suffering. We live through our time of suffering not by getting bitter, not by looking for a solution to get out of our suffering, but by giving our life to God. We get through and live our, in our suffering by giving our life to God. And a very important ingredient that cannot be left out of that for the people of God as they are suffering is to love one another as they're suffering together. You, I, I've gone past any time of singing. Y'all y'all just keep on singing here in a minute if you want. But, but, uh, but I, I'm hung up on this. I, I, think of, I think of Brother Scott and I think of his lows. His lows are really low sometimes. And he wouldn't mind me saying that. And then, and then when you all minister to him and, and you show up, he is so lifted up. And he's so encouraged. He is loved in his time of suffering. And what he's going through is very clear and very obvious. That he's in a time of suffering. It may not be so obvious with others. Others might not say anything. And you may be looked at a certain way. Or, 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 or someone will talk a certain way. I'm not saying we should excuse behavior that's just just ugly against the people of God. But I will say that that love overcomes that. And during a time of of suffering that we all go through at different times, sometimes we're suffering over something uh completely different than one another. Sometimes it's at complete different times than one another. But we all go through our times of suffering. And it's going to be the love that we share, that God has given us, that we love one another with, that is going to help us to overcome. We don't want to be a hindrance to one another 
in our hard times. And we're not always going to know it. It's not always going to be said from a microphone what someone is going through. It just, it just makes me think about the encouragement that we all need. And taking it for granted that, that everything should be okay with everybody. And it, and it isn't always. And it isn't all that, always that way. And no matter what we're going through, no matter what side of it we're on, no matter if we, we see that someone is down and needs encouraging or if it's us. Look, we've been made pure within. We've been born again. The, the, the time is thin. We need to, to do what matters. We need to spend our time loving one another, even in our time of suffering. That, that's, what, that's what matters. Well, I'm going to ask the teenagers to, uh, to head upstairs. Um, Y'all at least sing a song or two, huh? But uh, it's been...